You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. It's good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bible or your device. You can go to Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. And if you don't have a Bible, you can use one of the Bibles there on the ground next to you, and you can turn to page 896. Well, today we wrap up our series on the miracles of Jesus. Uh, we could have looked at dozens more. I mean, it's so obvious. If you read the Gospels, Jesus is either healing uh, or teaching, performing miracles or teaching. It's just amazing what we see about our Jesus in these four Gospels. So I just handpicked a few for our study, and then we'll dive into the book of Galatians next week. And today, in, in our, our last miracle in the series, we see what is one of the most famous and well-known and ultra-comforting interactions that someone has with Jesus in the Gospels. Um, Jesus really, he encounters a boy that's demonized and he encounters a father that's struggling. And then he encounters his disciples who are failing miserably. And this miracle shows us today that Jesus, he is for failures. He's for failures like you and me. So as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word and we'll begin in verse 14. Beginning in Mark 9, 14, the Holy Spirit tells us, when they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said, and many times it's thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, but help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. They came out shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse. So that many said, he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him and he stood up. After he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us. King Jesus, Holy Spirit, help us now. Help our unbelief. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
You know, something happens in our life that is often unexpected, and then you feel a lot of pain and, and a traumatic recoil when it occurs. You get really attached to a TV show, and then they cancel it all of a sudden. It's like, why? What happened? I love this show. There's one show I'm glad is off the air, and it's American Idol. I mean, the, I just can't watch the train wrecks of these people singing anymore. The vocal carnage is just too much to see. And every time it would happen, and you would see these awful singers, I would get so mad. I wouldn't get mad at them, but I was mad at their friends and their family because no one had the guts to tell them, you're horrible. Like, you, you should not go on this show. You are bad. You stink. I mean, I love you, but I can't hear you sing anymore. How come no one loved them enough to tell them the truth? And I thought about this, it really made me think about God. God loves you enough to tell you the truth about yourself. God has the guts to tell us from his word that apart from his son, we are, we are failures. We've ruined everything in our lives apart from him. We may have success in the world's eyes. You may think I'm not a failure. I mean, look at me. Okay, yeah, great. You may have a nice house. You may have nice things. But in your, in your inner life, is your marriage what God says it should be? You may impress a lot of people at your job and people may be, you know, man, that's such a great guy, such a great gal. It's just amazing. But down into your inner life, do you, do you always parent your children the way the Bible says you should? You may have a lot of friends and everything you touch seems to turn to gold, but in your character and in your thoughts and in your habits, if everyone knew them, are they at the level that if everyone knew them, you wouldn't be embarrassed at all? Of course not. And it's because we are failures. We aren't champions. We failed. We've mishandled our lives. We've done things we regret that we wish we could do over. But the good news about Christianity is that Jesus didn't come for the successful. Jesus came for the losers. Jesus didn't get a crown of thorns smashed on his head for the champions of society. He got crucified for the losers, for the outcasts, for the failures. For, for people who have failed in purity, Jesus came for you. For people who have failed in addictions and drunkenness, Jesus came for you. For people who know that if they're honest, they really are spiritual slackers, Jesus came for you. Jesus is for failures like you and like me. And what we see in today's miracle is Jesus entering into our failures and the failures of these disciples right out of the gate who fail to help. This is what we see. The disciples fail to help. Look at verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. So now we got to do a little work here because we're kind of just jumping into the middle of a context. When they came to the disciples, well, who are the they? The they are actually Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Because what happens right before this in verses 1 through 12, 1 through 13 in Mark 9, is Jesus has gone to the Mount of Transfiguration. And what happens here is Jesus says, Peter, James, John, follow me for a second. We need to go somewhere. And they go on top of this mountain. And then all of a sudden, the Jesus that they've seen and the ratty clothes that he's wear, the carpenter stuff, dirty, dirt under his fingernails, all that kind of, that Jesus they know, Jesus says, hold on. And he cranks his glory up to 11. And it says in, in Mark, in this beginning context, his clothes go pristine white. 
And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up and they have a conversation with Jesus about something. And then a voice from heaven speaks and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So there's Jesus, Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, and John all on this mount together. And then they walk down and this is what they walk into. So the they is Jesus, Peter, James, and John. They came to the other nine. So they came to the disciples, the ones that didn't get to go up. And there was a large crowd around them and scribes, the professional agitators are now here disputing with them. Well, what are they arguing about? Why is everyone so upset? This word is a really conflict heavy word. Well, why is everyone screaming? Verse 15. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to groom. So the, the crowd is pumped to see Jesus. They're glad he's here. Something's happening. 16, Jesus asks them, what are you arguing with them about? What's going on here? I love how Jesus inserts himself into the mess of his disciples. The disciples have made a real mess. I'm going to find out in a second. And Jesus says, hold on. What are you arguing with my guys about? Jesus does this all the time. He does it with the apostle Paul when he was the persecutor of the church. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What are you doing to me and my people? Hey, why are you arguing with my guys? Jesus cares about the mess in our lives and he wants to put himself in the middle of it to help. So why? 17. What are they arguing about? Someone from the crowd speaks up, answers him, teacher, I brought my son to you. And he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Now we see scary things that demons can actually do and can still do today. The spirit makes my son unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, throws him down and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth. That should remind you of the gnashing of teeth that Jesus speaks about that hell has. This demon's trying to bring a hell on earth and he becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. They couldn't. They failed. And he says, look at the beginning of verse 17. I brought my son to you. But I got your disciples. I got the guys in your training program thinking they could help. And you can imagine the disciples if you're familiar with them. They, hey, we're looking for Jesus. Can you, can you help my demonized son? And the disciples are like, hey, Jesus is in here. But I mean, we can probably do this. Yeah, we can do it. We've done it before. Jesus, we've, saw, we've seen Jesus do it. We'll just copy him. We got this. We can help you, Father. No, no worries. We got you. And then they couldn't. It's embarrassing. They're failures. They couldn't help the boy or his father. And not only did they think they could do it and then they couldn't, they actually made it worse. And now that they're arguing, now they're debating, they're arguing with the dad, they're arguing with the scribes, everybody's arguing together. And so you get that picture in your mind, everybody fighting. And then there's a little boy foaming at the mouth, grinding his teeth. And then there's the disciples battling their egos instead of battling demons pushing their arguments instead of pushing back the darkness. They gave up on bearing the burden of this family and they would rather argue and disagree. And right here, we get a real snapshot into the ways we Christians can act sometimes. Some of us would rather argue, debate, and nitpick theology, argue opinions and fight with one another over ministry tactics rather than hurt 
rather than help the hurting around us. We'd rather fight with one another than help those who are in pain around us. We'd rather critique one another's evangelism tactics rather than evangelize others. The disciples fail to help. I, and I've, I've been there. Christians that I've wanted to help, but I couldn't because of my limitations. And then I've been on the other side. Christians that and I should have helped. Unbelievers, I should have helped, but I failed. I hesitated in my heart and in my actions. I thought I was too busy. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there now. Maybe even today, the Lord is putting someone on your heart and someone on your mind to serve, to minister to, to bless, to love. Don't busy yourself with something else. Like the disciples, we must learn to love our neighbors more than ourselves and to learn that we can't do anything without Jesus. Jesus isn't there. They try to do it and they fail. We can't do anything without Jesus. Jesus steps in to fix our mess. He came down off the mountain to fix their mess. And Jesus came down from Mount Zion to fix your mess, to fix your life. And even if your faith is weak, dangling by a thread, Jesus is ready to help you. And when you're failing in faith, just like this dad, Jesus is ready to help. Look at verse 19. So after the, the dad says, your disciples couldn't help. 19, Jesus, he replied to them, Everybody, scribes, crowd, my guys, you unbelieving generation. How long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? That sounds pretty harsh. But Jesus is lamenting. He's, he's showing how much faithlessness disturbs him. The disciples, the crowd, the scribes, this whole generation, where is your faith? And we need to remember something about faith. We, we usually talk about it in one way. You got to believe in God. You got to believe in Jesus. That's true. We do believe in him for salvation, believe in him for redemption. But also there's another dynamic of faith we don't always talk about. It's just take the in out. Believing God. Believing Jesus. Believing his word. Believing his promises. The disciples, the crown, the father, they're not believing Jesus. But still, look at the great mercy of Jesus. After he laments their faithlessness, their unbelief, look at what Jesus still says at the end of 19. He doesn't say, y'all get out of here. He says, bring him to me. Bring, bring the boy to me. Jesus is so gracious. He sees their unbelief and he still says, let's, just bring him to me. Listen, Jesus sees all of your pitifulness. Jesus sees all of your sins, all of your grime, all of your embarrassing thoughts, uh, our seeming inability to get our act together, even our tiny, tiny microscopic faith we have sometimes. Jesus still says, come to me. Come to me. And right now you can go to him. Jesus invites you, burden and all, pain and all. Come to me. And Jesus invites those who've been failed by others, like this father and like his son. They failed you, fine, you come to me. I will not fail you. You've been neglected, come to me, I will not neglect you. You're needy, come to me, I will help you. So they do, they bring the boy, look at verse 20. So they brought the boy to him. 
And when the spirit, the demon saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. This demon knows my time's up. This is my fat Tuesday now. I'm, I'm having one last hurrah. Goes into convulsions, falls to the ground, rolling around, foaming at the mouth. And look what Jesus does. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked the father. It's fascinating. Why is Jesus asking these questions? I think he's showing us and this father something. He's showing him love. Jesus is showing the father, I care about you. I'm not disinterested in you and your family. I'm not just some traveling exorcist. You don't just take a number and I process you through my glory machine. I care about you and I care about your family. How long has this been happening? Jesus is entering into the space with this father and look what the father says. Verse 21, from childhood, he said. So from being a tiny boy, maybe he's a teenager now. You can imagine the turmoil and the pain this father's been through from a tiny boy to maybe from a toddler, childhood to maybe a teenager. The pain, how often, how broken this dad's heart is. I mean, as a dad, my heart crumbles when my kids are crying. I hate it. It's even this morning when I was leaving Oliver was crying upstairs, just wailing. And I was like, what's wrong, buddy? And I tried to go get him. And he's just crying, my knee, my knee. And like, what happened? He's like, a Lego. I'm like, oh, that does hurt. I'm so sorry. I know, I know. He's just got these big tears running down. Or when your kids are sick and they're, they're puke and they have a fever and they feel horrible, it just, oh, it just affects you so much as a parent. Now imagine this father watching his little boy have seizures for years. He can't do anything. Foaming at the mouth and all he can do is just wipe it away. His son will just go rigid at times, unable to move. His son used to be able to tell him, dad, I love you, but now the demons restrained his speech. His boy used to be able to hear him say, I love you, buddy. And now the demons made him unable to hear. And then when he puts his son to bed at night, he sees all of the scars and burns because if you look at verse 22, at many times it's thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. So now his boy's body is scarred and burned. And he's had to yank him out of the Sea of Galilee because the demons tried to drown him. The, the burden of this dad, I just can't, I just can't imagine the pain. And then the disciples go and make it worse. Oh, we can help. We can do it. And then they can't. They raise the dad's hopes and then they dash them against the rocks. And here's a real lesson for, for us right now who are Christians. Do not promise to do for people what only Jesus can do. Do not promise to do for people what only Jesus can do. Don't play Jesus in people's lives. Satan wants you to think we can be people's Messiah. We cannot. Our task as Christians is to not play Jesus in people's lives. Our task is to point people to Jesus. Here's the crucified and risen Lord. Here, here's his word. I'm, I'm just gonna show you Jesus. You don't need my words. You need my words to take you to Jesus, to show you him. So here's his word. Here's his glory. Here's his power. Here are his promises. You need Jesus. If we don't do that otherwise, like these disciples, we actually end up hurting people. And we end up hurting their view of Jesus. And now this father's faith is waning. 
And look at what he says to Jesus. After his disciples have failed, look at what he says to Jesus, verse 22. Many times he's thrown him into the fire and water to destroy him. Look, look, but if you can do anything, but if you, your disciples couldn't, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus hears the struggling dad and we wonder the same thing too sometimes, don't we? If you can, God, I mean, if you can do anything about this, if, if, if you can, Jesus hears us and he has help for us. He, there is a faith that for failures that we can have and it's that Jesus can. Look at verse 23. So after the father says, if you can do anything, Jesus answers him. Verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can, if, if you can, he quotes the father back to him. Did you really just say, if I can? Everything is possible for the one who believes. The father is failing in faith, but it's not the end. Jesus says, what do you mean, if I can? I mean, the, the failing faith of this father is a little understandable. When the disciples failed to help. They couldn't do anything but argue and make it worse. And maybe that's what you think about Christians too. All they do is argue they never help. And they just argue with one another and make things worse. That is true a lot of times. We're a bunch of idiots most of the time. But Jesus is so good. So listen, if you're new to church or maybe you're not a Christian and you're new to Christianity or maybe you're trying to re-engage with the church again, you've seen Christians just argue with one another and not ever offer help. So let me just encourage you from here in this passage. Don't judge Jesus based on the failings of Jesus' people. His disciples messed up. Yeah, we mess up. But listen, don't judge Jesus based on the failings of Jesus' people. Look at Jesus on his own merits, on who he is, not, not based off of us. Because listen, everything is possible for the one who believes. Verse 23, Jesus says, believe it. Believe that I can. Believe me. Of course I can do something. I can do everything. I can do anything. Believe me, believe it's possible. Notice it's not a guarantee. Satanic prosperity teachers teach that faith kind of strong arms God into doing whatever you want him to do. That's demonism. That's witchcraft. That's not Christianity. Jesus says, I can do anything. Believe it. Believe it's possible. Not a guarantee. It's faith. Believe it's possible. Believe that we don't approach a Jesus with limitations. Believe that we don't approach a God who's leashed by anything. Don't let your temporary circumstances change what you believe about the eternal God. Don't let what is temporary change what you believe about the one who is eternal. And listen, whatever you are doubting about God, maybe even frustrated with God about Maybe you've given up. You need to hear the prayer from this dad. Snatch it, steal it, and make it yours. After Jesus tells him, everything is possible for the one who believes. Verse 24, look at your Bible. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. I do. Help my unbelief. Everything's possible for the one who believes, dad. I do, I do believe, but I don't. So help me. 
Help my unbelief. This is one of the greatest and most honest prayers in the Bible. We can all resonate with this. And if you can't, I just, you're just not honest with yourself. The Father says, I believe it's possible, but I'm really struggling to. And I don't want to anymore. So help me. God loves this prayer because it's honest and it's a confession. It's, it's a prayer of dependence. I need your help. It's a confession of sin too. He doesn't say, I believe and I have some unbelief too. He says, help me out of it. Literally, you can almost translate it as, help me overcome my unbelief. I don't want to stay this way. I want you to take it away. I, I want you to change me. And remember, look, how did this father's, what was this father's first request? Look back at verse 22. If you can do anything, have compassion on us. Help us. He's too general. He's too generic. Jesus, let's get past just the, the we's and the us's. Because when you talk about we and us, it's very easy just to kind of wash it away and kind of forget yourself. Jesus says, let's, let's think about you. So he goes from help us, the, the dad does, now to help me. Heal my boy, Jesus, but also heal me too. You need to get very specific with your life. Because Jesus is a specific savior. Help me. Right now, this moment, what is your unbelief? What are you doubting? You, you may not call it unbelief. You may call it all kinds of things to make it seem less unchristian. What are your doubts? What are your concerns? What are your fears? Your struggles? What is your unbelief? And whatever it is, don't ignore it anymore. Don't act like it's okay. Don't act like it's manageable. Bring it to Jesus and say, help my unbelief. I, I can't do it. I can't help myself out of it. I need you. I believe in your power, Jesus, but help my unbelief that I'm free from sin. I believe that God is love, but help my unbelief that you really love me and forgive me and care for me. I believe that you set me free from sin, but help my unbelief about my addictions and my assurance of salvation. Jesus, help me doubt my doubts. Destroy my doubts. Just like you can cast out a demon, cast out my doubts, please. Help me and know that Jesus can. That's why Jesus says, if I can, I can. Jesus can do all that we cannot do. This is the great beauty of Christianity. Everything you and I cannot do, Jesus says, I can. We can't please God on our own. Jesus says, I can. We can't obey God's word on our own. Jesus says, I can't, I did. Jesus says, I can. This is why the great promise of Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who can lives in me. And the life we now live in the body, we live by faith in Jesus, the son of God who can, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the great promise of Christianity. Jesus does what the disciples cannot do. He does what the father wished he could do. Whatever it is that you wish you could overcome in your life, Jesus says, I can. It's possible. 
he does heal this boy. He does what the disciples couldn't do. Look at verse 25. So when Jesus saw that the crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out, shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. He's worse than before. Then the boy became like a corpse. You got to get cinematic when you read the Bible. Don't just read it like you're reading a blog, like you're cruising Pinterest. Read it cinematically. You got to get all this in your mind. See the shrieking, hear the howling, see the foam, see the corpse. This boy became like a corpse so that many said he's dead. Jesus sends out this demon, heals this boy, but now he's, he's in such bad shape. He looks like a corpse. People, the crowd's like, he died. But look at verse 27. Everybody look at your Bible and look at the first two words of verse 27. So he's dead, but Jesus. But Jesus. Man, I love these two words. But Jesus. This boy looked dead, but Jesus. This father was filled with unbelief, but Jesus. The disciples failed to help, but Jesus. And when we were dead in our sins, without hope, on our way to hell and the wrath of God for eternity, but Jesus. This is what I want on my tombstone, but Jesus, exclamation mark. This is my whole life, but Jesus. And if you're a Christian, this is your testimony too. I was this, but Jesus. I was given into this. I was a slave to this. I was trapped in this, but Jesus. I was headed down this path. I was involved in these things. I was becoming this kind of person, but Jesus. But Jesus, first. 27, taking him by the hand. This is a personal touch from Jesus. Taking him by the hand. Jesus loves us. Jesus takes us by the hand, raises him up, and he stood up. Jesus grabs us by the hand when we're dead in our sins and says, get up. Stand up. Literally, this language is of resurrection. So whether the boy's actually dead or not, maybe it may just be he looks like a corpse. Some people think he did die. Either way, Mark's saying, Jesus lifted him up. Same words Mark will use when Jesus stands up out of the grave, when he walks out of the tomb. Resurrection language. This is a picture for us. This boy looked dead, but Jesus stood him up. And listen, beloved, This boy was pronounced dead. You must be pronounced dead in your sins if you want any hope in this life. You must look at your life and go, I'm dead in my sins. But Christ, but Jesus was was actually pronounced dead for them with a spear hurled into his side by a Roman soldier to make sure he was dead. He was pronounced dead at Calvary for my sins. And that Jesus hung naked on a cross, not under just Roman authority, but under the wrath of God for my sins. He took all my failings of God's law and he died as a failure. 
Listen, Jesus died as a failure. This is why so many Jewish people today and back then want nothing to do with Jesus. Because to be crucified in the first century means you are one of the biggest losers in society. Rome only crucified the worst of the worst, the rejects, the outcasts, the biggest failures in their culture. That's who got crucified. He took the punishment of our sins in our place so we can be forgiven, so we could be healed, so we could be delivered, so he could take us by the hand and stand us up when the trumpet blares. When we were dead in our sins, he raises us up because he rose from the dead victorious. He is no failure. He rose. We were failures, but now in Christ, we're more than conquerors. Now in Christ, we're victors. Now in Christ, we're heirs. Now in Christ, we are royalty dining at his table in his kingdom. He's our reigning king. Help our unbelief. So you need to take these father's words, this prayer that he offers up, that's not a good one at the beginning to Jesus when he says, if you can do anything, if you can, you just, you just delete that if. Take that if right out and you hear the difference. If you can, you can. That's what we need. You can, Jesus, you, you can. If you're wondering in your heart, you know, if God can, if, if God loves me, if God cares about me, you delete all those ifs, you send them into hell where they belong and you hear God can. God loves me. God cares for me. Whatever your unbelief is today, you must face it eyeball to eyeball and answer the question, what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about my unbelief? Maybe today you just need to cry out, Jesus, save me. Save me from my sins. I see I'm pronounced dead in my sins. I need you to stand me up. He can save you today if you only believe. Everything's possible for the one who believes. To face your unbelief today, what you must do is what the disciples didn't do. They failed to pray. Don't fail to pray. Look at verse 28. So after, after he heals this boy and casts out the demon and helps this father, redeems the failings of his disciples, look at 28, it transitions into a closing scene. 28, after he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? What did we do wrong? What technique were we missing? Sometimes in the first century, they believed if you said a right incantation, you could cast out demons, all this kind of stuff. They're probably just wondering, hey, why, why couldn't we do it? What happened? 29, Jesus tells him. 29, he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. I would underline those three words. I underlined them three times each. Nothing but prayer. You want to know why you couldn't cast it out? Because you guys were too busy arguing. You didn't pray. And I, I wish I couldn't relate Prayer is one of the first things we forget to do, isn't it? We open books first. We get counsel from others. We Google for help. But listen, there's nothing like prayer. Google may give us access to infinite information, but it can never give us access to the one with infinite power and the one with infinite mercy and the one with infinite love for us in his son. Prayer is the power. 
It is not a last resort. We must condemn all of that kind of speaking. Well, I guess all we can do is pray. All we can do is pray. If I can't, we should hear Jesus say this. Right, did you just say all you can do is pray? Did you just say all you can do is call on the one who holds the universe together by the word of his power? Did you just say all I can do is, I guess, is talk to the one who died for my sins and rose again from the dead, is alive in heaven 2,000 years now and counting? Prayer is power. It is a manifestation of faith. Prayer is calling on the one who can. Prayer pushes our unbelief aside. When you have this blockade and this barrier of unbelief in your heart and mind, we see how to battle it. You pray. You look at that blockade. You look at that barrier of unbelief you have, and you just say, excuse me. I'm believing God right now. I'm praying. It, prayer battles unbelief. Jesus said, this kind can only come out by nothing but prayer. Well, how did the boy come? How, how did he get healed? How did that demon come out? Nobody prayed. Wrong. One person did pray. The father did. When he cried out to Jesus, when he said, I believe, help my unbelief, he prayed. He talked right to the God of the universe, help me. That's the prayer. One of faith. Not a big, elaborate, impressive prayer. Not one where people in a small group would go, man, that guy's spiritual. That's probably one prayer that if you heard out loud in a small group, you'd be like, man, what's their deal? We're supposed to be faking it. Why, why are you being so honest? Help my unbelief. One little mustard seed prayer moves a mountain. The disciples failed. The Father's faith was failing. You and I are failures. And unlike those screeching singers, there's actually hope for us. Jesus can save us. Jesus can help us by faith alone. Believe in him today. Believe in him now. Look to him. Help my unbelief, Lord. Let's go to him now. Let's pray together. King Jesus, help our unbelief. Whatever it is, Lord, we want to offer a time to, to bring that up to you. Church, whatever your unbelief, your doubts, your concerns, your fears, your struggles, worries, burdens, whatever you're calling it, bring that to him now. Jesus, help my unbelief. Help me overcome it. I believe you can. I believe you can. I believe it's possible. Help me. King Jesus, we believe that it's possible. We believe that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We believe, help our unbelief, that you will work all things together for good for those who are called according to your purpose. We believe that now in Christ, nothing shall separate us from your love, that we are more than conquerors. So help our unbelief. And it's in your mighty name that we pray, King Jesus. 
Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.